So I did some essential exercise this week. Uh, I was surfing over in Santa Cruz at a beach called Manresa, which suddenly is in the news as of yesterday because there was a fatal shark attack, um, and it was a little unnerving. We have three of our youth that happened to have been in or near, right near uh, the water uh, yesterday when this took place. Um, So man, I gave my own daughter a hug uh, because she was waist deep in some water where there was some threatening things happening, which is very, very rare uh, here in Northern California. Anyways, I'm there doing some essential exercise earlier this week, and I had my daughter with me, and we of course had to go and visit a place called Cat and Cloud. And while there, I offered to my daughter a Cat and Cloud um, coffee, and she said yes before I finished the sentence. And Tori Cook was there. I tried to offer Tori Cook cat and cloud coffee, and she said no. You don't have to rewind. I'll say it again. I offered Tori Cook cat and cloud coffee, and she said no. I made it clear. Tori, I'm offering it to you. I will pay for you. She said no. Can you imagine the willpower? I began to comment on the inner fortitude it takes for Tori Cook to say no to free cat and cloud coffee during shelter-in-place times when one of the workers from inside Cat and Cloud volunteered that she is trying to take an entire month and go without drinking and salty snacks, which led to a fun little conversation about the idea of self-discipline being a great thing and something that takes a lot of work. Uh, All of us have tried to quit something, right? Here's your first live chat thing that you get to post in. Um, And you can be as self-revealing with this as you want. What is something that is hard for you to quit? What is that thing that's hard for you to quit? Go ahead and post your answers in there. And then here's a bonus one. What is something that is far too easy to quit? What is easy for you to quit? And here's what I want to highlight for you. If you want proof of a fallen, cursed world, which is exactly what the Bible talks about, starting from Genesis, continuing on in Romans, and then we sing about it every Christmas in our Christmas carols, far as the curse is found, right? If you want evidence of a fallen and cursed world, think about this. The things that we want to quit are really, really hard to quit. The things we don't want to quit are super easy to quit. Isn't that frustrating? That's the world that we live in. Now, here's one more bonus freebie. If you want to post in this, you can. And that is this. If you could have one trade in life, something that you could lay down forever and quit cold turkey and be able to trade it with something that you want to never, ever quit doing, what would that be? What would that trade be that you could lay down something and never do it again and pick up something else and never struggle with quitting that item again? Today, uh, we are talking about prayer. We're talking about prayer and not losing heart. And these things go together, praying and losing heart. Here's the sermon in a nutshell. Ready? Here's the instruction. Always pray, never lose heart. Always pray, never lose heart. Most every human being that you've ever met or seen in a documentary or read about, think about it, has prayed at some point in their life. Most every human being on the planet, I would venture to guess probably every human being 
has prayed, and many of them, if not most of them, including most of us watching this morning and talking this morning, have at some point quit praying. Most everyone prays. Most everyone quits praying at some point. Why is that? Well, if you've ever prayed, you know something of hopelessness. That's, that may be what led you to pray. And you also know something of hope. If you've ever prayed, you know something about timing and it being different than your mindset. In other words, you didn't get what you asked for when you wanted it. And you've also had this question, am I the only one hearing my prayers? If we have an unofficial prayer book in the Bible, it sits right in the middle. It's the Psalms. I want to show you some language from the Psalms. Psalm 10.1, why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Look at these, look at these words in red. Psalm 13.1, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Psalm 22, this one may sound familiar. My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Psalm 44, awake. Why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject me forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? Psalm 77, will the Lord spurn us forever? And never again be favorable. Has his steadfast love ceased? And his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? If you have ever prayed, then the language found in this small sampling of the Psalms rings true to you. I mean, if you've ever really prayed for something in faith and put your hope in this prayer, then these words might call back a season that you went through, a time in your life, maybe a life-altering time in your life that rattled you to the core. And these words ring true. Prayer involves faith. And Hebrews 11, chapter 11 of Hebrews, is the great hall of faith chapter. Right before listing all these men and women whom we admire for their faith, the author gives us this verse right here. Hebrews eleven six. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. God rewards all who draw near in faith. This little short sentence is sort of Luke 18's passage on prayer in a nutshell. Luke 18 shows five different kinds of people who are drawing near to Jesus with all kinds of needs and all kinds of backgrounds. And what Jesus does is he lovingly is showing them the way that the Father rewards those who draw near to him. Today, very specifically... We begin the chapter with a helpless widow who is armed with nothing but fairness and what is true plus persistence. And she comes and draws near to the right right person, and that is uh, she's, she's drawing near and asking for help. And what she's rewarded with is 
justice. Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 1. Look at Luke with me, and we'll read just the first eight verses. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I, fear that, though I, neither, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And, and the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Luke gives us a gift. In fact, in each of these little short snippets that we get in Luke 18, Luke gives us the gift as, as people trying to interpret by stating in advance Jesus' purpose in telling the story. So there, there it is in verse 1. No need to question what the main takeaway from this parable is. Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. It's the key to this morning. So I want to start with Jesus on prayer and just looking a little bit about what Jesus talked about with prayer. You notice in the scriptures, there's no seminars. He doesn't recommend books. He doesn't give lengthy teachings on exactly the way that prayer works. He doesn't have lofty theoretical discussions. Instead, Jesus simply lived his life and prayed. Prayed and lived his life. When he does talk about prayer... Think about the Lord's Prayer, for instance. He actually tells us not to copy those who would just mindlessly repeat words. It's curious that people are taking the Lord's Prayer and doing what he said not to do with it, and that is just mindlessly say it without really thinking about the words. Um, The other thing he says, not only does he talk about it, about not being repetitive, but he indicates in various ways that we will be tempted to quit. We'll be tempted to give up in prayer. Now, Luke has already shown Jesus praying in some different ways. At his baptism, we hear Jesus pray. In solitude, in fact, Jesus' habit was that he would go away by himself and find a spot to pray. Uh, we, we see him praying before a major decision. He spent all night in prayer before choosing his 12 disciples. We also see Jesus praying for his friends uh, he says in, uh, to, to Peter that, um, that uh, his faith would be tested, uh, but, but Jesus was praying for him, that his faith would not fail, that he would pass the test. And then, of course, we see Jesus praying for his persecutors. A couple weeks ago, we celebrated Easter and heard the words of Jesus' compassion and forgiveness, praying for those who were in the midst of murdering him. He also to, told two stories very specifically to teach us um, about prayer. And the first is found in Luke 11. And, and just reviewing that for a moment, he framed this uh, in such a way, we, we, we basically called it, ask, seek, knock, repeat, right? We put the musical notations there to say, this is a picture of prayer. 
Uh, Jesus goes way beyond the teaching of his day. What were the Jewish leaders teaching the people? They were saying this, pray three times a day. Now, why wasn't it 27 times a day and why wasn't it once a day? Well, they thought three times a day was the sweet spot between going to God in prayer a lot, but making sure that they don't weary God out. They, 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 they don't wear him out with their, with their bothering him. Um, now, we have uh, children in our home and old to young, the, the, the siblings team up and they form different strategies to ask the parents for things. And what's fascinating about it is this. I think they must have really complicated charts and personnel packages like an NFL team. And someone, I can't figure out who, but someone's calling the shots. Go, we're going with nickel package. Go, go, go. They're calling plays. And what we have is we have different kids, different sets of kids, all coming to the parents, and there's some elaborate system in place where they are figuring out which parent should we ask this question to, what's the time of day, what's the barometric pressure, what are we asking for? Is this screen time? Is this snack time? Is this something else? And then they go in, and the entire goal of it is this, they want success for their request, right? And one of their main things, I think, is they don't want to wear the parents out. Parents, maybe you're armed with something like this. If you want an answer right now, I'll give it to you, but stop asking me, right? And, and these, these kids of ours are geniuses at sitting there trying to figure out how do we ask without asking too much. Here's the shocker. Ready? Jesus blows that apart, and he says, ask, seek, knock, repeat. As in, ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep, knocker, keep knocking. Pester in prayer. That's actually the lesson of the story from Luke 11, is that we are to pester in prayer. What's amazing is in the first story, Jesus paints the language of prayer as that of a friendship. It's between two friends, uh, two neighbors. So prayer is never to whom it may concern. It's never impersonal. It is always from a person to a person. And that's what Jesus is teaching us. Jesus awakens our prayer language uh, as that not only between two friends, uh, but, but this, this bold point of saying boldly go to God in prayer, and even when he says no, keep on asking. So what's this second story about? The second story is the one we just read. It's here in Luke 18. The setting isn't two neighbors, but the setting is a courtroom. And what we have is we have a nameless widow, and we have some faceless judge. I would add he's a, he's a heartless judge, and there's this exchange going on. So in some ways, you couldn't have two more different pictures, but there's a link between the two. In the first one, we see persistence in prayer, as in a friend asking for bread at an inopportune time. He knocks, and he keeps on knocking, and Jesus commends that. And in the second, we're told, don't lose heart. Keep praying always. So prayer is essential. Prayer is ongoing. Prayer is on repeat. And you will be tempted to quit. Don't lose heart. Keep praying. I want you to call your mind back for a moment uh, to Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists 
and that he rewards those who seek him. Jesus discusses prayer, and prayer is the lifeblood of our life in God, just as communication is the lifeblood to our relationships. Jonathan led us in the song, Draw Near, and one of the ways we draw near is in prayer. Like any conversation, prayer involves speaking, prayer involves listening, prayer involves silence between the two people. There is meaning and exchange going on. There is relationship building simply in the act of conversation. One of the things that I've altered my schedule around, which has been kind of fun, is I've been taking each of my kids out on a little, a little lunchtime, uh, one-on-one, and uh, Tate's been knocking down my door. He's been following the scripture. He's been pestering me in prayer, making his request. When is it my turn? When is it my turn? I don't know about your kids, but my kids are hyper-focused on what's fair and whose turn it is. So Tate, my little six-year-old, when's it my turn? Well, this week it was his turn. So me and little buddy Tate uh, jump in the Jeep, and we head over to In-N-Out. We're sitting in the line for In-N-Out, and, and I turn to Tate. I said, Tate, what do you want to talk about? And without missing a beat, Tate says this. He says, do you know how to make lava? So I repeat the question. I said, do I know how to make lava? And he goes, yeah, because I do. And we were off and running. All of a sudden, he's yapping and talking and telling me the things that he's been studying and learning, and away we go. And what it was was just a dude and his dad yapping about whatever was on his mind, and it was awesome. It helps that we threw in some really good food, which is also biblical, that we converse over food. This is how I'm able to get to know my son. I get to know his mind. I get to know what's in his heart. I get to know his soul. I get to understand who Tate is. And this won't be abnormal. This will just be an ongoing thing through our life. What's happening in this scenario is that Tate is drawing near... But really, when you look at the big picture, I'm the one. The dad is the one making it happen. Who does the heavy lifting? Well, I'm the one with the car. I'm the one with the schedule. I'm the one who put out the initiating thing to say, hey, come, let's do lunch. I'm the one paying for lunch. This is a picture of God and us drawing near. It's not a chore or a burden to draw near to God, right? We don't have to come up with some cash to buy God lunch. God does all the heavy lifting. What we do is we respond yes to the invitation, Hey, come hang out with me. Come draw near to me. Come converse with me. What's on your mind? And we're able to just open up the conversation with whatever is on our mind. You want to know Jesus' word on prayer? Here it is. Keep at it and do not lose heart. All right, I'm ready to talk about the title image. This is the title image, um, and I wish I took that picture, but I did not. What I want you to notice is this. Uh, In in looking for a title picture that had to do with prayer, what you don't see in this picture is folded hands, hands pressed together, hands raised in desperation, hands holding a baby, hands holding a Bible, hands clutching a cross. I wanted to get in our minds that when we think of prayer, we think bigger and broader than what a Google search might call to mind when we think of prayer. I mean, of course we pray at the big moments. Of course we pray at church. Of course we pray at Bible study. Of course we pray when we have a new baby. Jesus taught us to be ever in prayer, on the way kinds of prayer. We keep the conversation going through all of life. Pray what you live 
and live what you pray. I want to credit Eugene Peterson with that line. That's a line from a book I was reading, and that was built right into it, and I I love that. I thought that's my title for the week. Imagine keeping God to 10% of our income. Imagine limiting God to 7% of your week. Imagine limiting, limiting God to 1 24th of each day. That's insane. We don't put God in these tiny percentages. We keep God in 100% of our life at all times. And we are always the better for it. Here's some real layman's terms about what to pray. Pray 100% of your life. Pray what you live. Whatever you're going through, pray it. That's the teaching that we have. And then by God's grace, seek to live out what you pray. You will find yourself asking God for things. Like this woman, you'll find yourself asking for justice around you. And pretty soon, God will nudge you to say, uh, you keep praying for me to do something about it. I've got someone in mind that has the same initials as you. And so we go and we live what we pray by God's grace. You know, Mount Hamilton houses Lick Observatory. Uh, One of the reasons I put this picture on is I thought, you know, we have really great weather around here. Mostly there's cloudless skies. At almost any place in the valley, you can look up and see Lick Observatory sitting there on top of Mount Hamilton. So one of the things that this picture ought to call to mind is this, that as we are here uh, on the valley floor and we look up, our gaze goes up, we should just keep it going to the heavens. You know what one of Jesus' favorite stances in prayers was? It wasn't this, it was this. Lifting his face to the heavens, Jesus prayed. Watch for it in the Bible. And so we can just lift our gaze. There's one more reason that, that putting this picture in this little parking lot means a lot to this location. Remember, prayer isn't general. It's very specific. And part of our church history is sort of wrapped up in Mount Hamilton and Lick Observatory. You see, 12 years ago on Cinco de Mayo, the Garza family lost their precious Marie. She was lost to an enemy that Jesus conquered and is in the process of finalizing, and that is disease and death. And one of the things that John Garza did, he was here in our church parking lot uh, moments before she passed, and he turned his grief into something that was really powerful. He invited a lot of people, his, his cycling friends, into doing a yearly ride on Cinco de Mayo from our church parking lot up to Mount Hamilton and back. And in doing so, he began to allow others to go up. And at the very top of this mountain, we've had many celebrations celebrating the life, the gift of these people who've been, who've been taken by disease. This bike ride, many of you in our church, well, not many of you, let's be real. Some of you, a few of you, have made this ride from our church parking lot up and back. It's 65 miles round trip, and it is filled with a few different things, right? It's filled with, um, it's filled with, with, with torture and thrill. It's filled with flat sections. It's filled with headwinds and tailwinds. It's filled with starts and finishing and how good that feels. And it's sort of this great metaphor for not losing heart, not giving up. Keep on going. Keep on riding your bike up the hill. You're going to get there eventually. And so as I put this picture up there, I just thought, man, call to mind those of you who have made this journey um, and what a thrill it is not to lose heart, but to keep on going. 
Jesus brings to light different characters and subjects with, with intentionality, right? He brings up a widow and an unrighteous judge. He brings up the subject of justice. Um, and in fact, the, the word justice is used four times in eight verses. If you're ever studying scripture on your own, look at a word that's, re- that's repeated a bunch. If justice is brought up four times, it must be an important word. So let's go to Jesus on justice. Widows in the ancient world were sort of the epitome. It was representational of the helpless and the defenseless. You want to take someone who's easy to be picked on and taken advantage of? It was a widow. She was completely dependent on the goodwill of other people, of, the other, of other people taking up her cause. Luke's an incredible gospel, and, and he takes great pains to show Jesus' care for those who have little or no voice, the ones who are discarded and ignored by society. And a category of widow in our Bay Area is foster children. Foster children and foster youth would fall into this category of those with, with no voice and are often overlooked. May is Foster Care Awareness Month. Uh, We as a church are committed to keeping this topic on the frontal lobes of our brain. Because one of the things about those who are taken advantage of is they can become invisible. There's there's very little spotlighting, uh, oftentimes, those who have very little to no voice, who are being taken advantage of. And so we we are doing what we can to take what's hidden in plain sight and put the spotlight on it. We choose to see this issue because it is on God's heart to go out and look for it. I want to show you a passage in Isaiah. Isaiah says this, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. What God is describing is what he wants his people to do. If you want to know the context of what he's talking about in this passage in Isaiah, he actually tells them to stop some things. Before getting to what you should be doing, he says, stop these other things. What were those other things? You ready for it? They were meaningless worship services. They were vain offerings and celebrations and feasts to honor God. And then this, in verse 15, just two verses earlier, Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. He's telling his people, stop praying. An odd thing. Maybe you didn't know that was in the Bible, that God tells people to stop praying sometimes. Why is that? It's because prayer and action go together. The conversation and the lifestyle. Hear and do what I say. Those are, those are the people who are my actual friends. To illustrate this, think about a spouse who is ignoring you, running around on you, and actively lying to you, and yet your spouse remembers your anniversary with gifts and lavish trips your spouse is keeping the weekly date night and raves about you on social media. Are you pleased? No, you're not. What you would say is, chuck all of that. Stop that. That's actually injuring me more by having you rave about me on social media and treat me like garbage in real life. This is a picture of God and his people. Do you want to have a good relationship with God? then live the life. 
Stop the show and walk in love. Stop putting energy to the show and just walk in love. Pray what you live, watch for it, and then live what you pray. I think God will never tell us to stop praying if we pray what we actually are living, right? And then seek to go and live what we pray. If you don't have a soft heart for the world's orphans and foster children in the United States, here's my advice to you. Pray for them. Better yet, if you have small children in your home, explain to them the plight of foster children, what's going on in their life, what their needs are, what life might be like for them tonight as they go to bed, and then get your children to pray for them. I dare you to have a cold, hard, indifferent heart to foster children in the United States when you hear your children praying for them at bedtime prayers. Prayer does something for us that begins to awaken in us. You know, justice is doing right by people. And we know that God made people to grow up in families, not to grow up in institutions. And so there's something in us that is at unrest until we know that children and youth in our area, in our specific place, have families and homes to be sleeping in at night. That's why we're laser-focused on the issue of adoption and on the issue of foster care. I want you to listen to Britain. Britain is someone that I met this last January up at Mount Hermon. We had a, we had a region-wide Foster the Bay retreat, which was awesome. I got to meet many people that I've interacted with virtually, um, and this was back when you could be around people. And so we had this retreat, and maybe a day into the retreat, I was sitting next to Britain. I didn't really know her. She's from Santa Rosa. I said, Britain, um, I, I asked her something like this. I said, so how did God get a hold of your heart for foster kids? And no joke, about an hour later, we wrapped up the conversation. I mean, it went all through dinner. And it, went, it just kept going. And she was just this bubbly open book. She's an amazing person. Listen to her story here um, on video. My name is Britton, and uh, there was a point where I didn't think I'd be a parent. My husband and I have been married for 15 years, and we've watched all our friends have three, four kids, and um, we waited on the Lord, just wondering what his plan was. We considered um, adoption, and we considered infertility treatment, and then we heard about this thing called foster care. We weren't in a position after our first informational meeting to become foster parents yet. So we said yes to the things that we could say yes to. We said yes to training and information and classes. We said yes to paperwork. And um, I also went and served at a camp for kids in care. I remember um, telling the Lord that I, I didn't know how to be a parent or really even like a mentor to kids who've been through all the things they've been through. And I remember the Lord telling me, Britain, you don't need to be a mom. You don't need to be a parent. I made you a Britain. What I found um, after 15 years of infertility is that the Lord has been molding and shaping our family to be something different. After camp, we were really motivated um, to become foster parents and finish the certification process and the Lord provided us a home to be able to do that in. We had our first placement um, as a sibling set. These two kids were funny and smart 
and we just, we love them tremendously, but it became very apparent within a short period of time that our house wasn't the right fit for them and um, that they had needs beyond, well beyond what we could meet even as a very supported family. Our placement came to a really quick stop and uh, we were devastated. I ran away and visited my parents for 10 days and I didn't know how we would ever say yes um, to another placement. We felt like failures. After a long time of thinking about and praying about um, what failure is, um, the Lord told me that um, true failure is not being willing to try. True failure is taking the gift of grace that God has given you and burying it in the ground. Six weeks after our failed placement, we uh, received a phone call about a 14-year-old boy. And I was like, how is this gonna work? And uh, we spent five minutes with him and we were like, we wanna be your people. We've just had the best time um, getting to be a part of his life. It looks like we'll get to be a part of his life the rest of his life. And our hope is that he sees that God sees him and God loves him. I really believe that the scary things in life are probably the only things worth doing. There are kids out there that are worth changing your whole life for. There are kids out there who are worth changing your whole life for. Man, I love that line. Foster the Bay has been something that we've partnered with uh, since its very beginning. And right below you, depending on if you're watching full screen or not, there's a bunch of links. One of the links is this 31-day prayer guide. It's been awesome in May so far just to be going through this personally as a family. Many of you in the church are doing it. You can pick up right here on May 10th and start praying every single day for a different aspect of foster care and the various counties that, that we're involved in. Also under there is an Amazon link. There's ways to buy uh, very specific things, kind of like a wedding registry, but you're buying very specific things for, uh, for foster families, those who are stepping in to, to care for them. And lastly, I want to mention in a couple of days, this Tuesday, May 12th, uh, we've taken our interest meetings, which is the, the next step. If you want to find out what you can do right now, part of Britain's story is I just decided, what, what can I do right now, is to go to an interest meeting. If you've never been to one of those, we've moved all of those online. So there's a virtual interest meeting coming up this Tuesday night. Yours truly will be on the Zoom call. Um, and so we'll, we'll, we'll do all that. There's a link for you to, to RSVP. Let me close our time this morning, my part of the time at least, with two really clear motivations to keep at prayer and to not lose heart. These are the things that when you're hearing all those voices in your head or all those things we saw in the Psalms, God, are you awake? Are you hearing me? Would you please answer me? How long is this going to be? Have you forgotten about me? These are the things embedded in the text that motivate us, that keep us going. Here's the first one. We keep at prayer and don't lose heart because we know what God is like. Don't you find it curious that Jesus is trying to get a lesson from this wicked judge? He says in verse 6, hear what the unrighteous judge says. What's Jesus doing? He's arguing from lesser to greater. He's saying if this unjust judge gives justice and answers the request of the powerless, how much more 
is the one whose name is faithful and true, the one who's full of grace and full of might. How much more will he give justice quickly to his elect? That's the argument he's making. God's character lets us not lose heart. We know that God is nothing like this judge. We can keep on praying, even when it's hard, even when we're pedaling up to Lick Observatory on Mount Hamilton, because we know what God is like. Look at these scriptures. These are just a tiny smattering, but God is caring. We're to cast on our cares. Why? Because He cares for us. God is good. God is sovereign. God is all of these things. I could go on and on. We could spend the whole morning thinking on His attributes and what He is. What of His wisdom and what of His mercy and His power and His knowledge and His tenderness. Well, let me give you one more. What of His fairness? What of His being just? Nahum says, The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. Remember from last week, and justice for all. Today, sooner or later, justice is coming. Psalm 99, the king in his might loves justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Christians care about justice because God cares about justice. Christians gain their justice from Jesus. It's from Jesus that we are made just. Go and read Galatians, which is the short version. Go and read all of Romans if you've got tons of time. That's the message. Our justice, our righteousness is given to us, granted to us, because Jesus took the penalty that we deserve. So now we cry out to God in our helplessness, in our widowness, right? And God hears the cries of his people so we don't lose heart. So not only do we keep at it because God uh, alone has the words of life and he has the character to back it up, but secondly, we keep at prayer and don't lose heart because we know he's coming back. The very end of this, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? We don't ever quit because we're convinced Jesus is coming back. Remember from last week, what we believe about the future determines how we live in the present. This is true in big and small ways. What we believe about the future determines how we live in the present. Jesus had just gotten done, the previous section last week, chapter 17, waking them up with apocalyptic kinds of language, words that were meant to stir urgency and renew their faith. And now he ties prayer into looking for his return. I want to take a moment and just think about the Lord's Prayer, a very, very well-known prayer, and I want to sort of overlay it on this, on this passage. Listen for how the Lord's Prayer deals with character and His return. He takes these exact two themes, and they're, they're, they're embedded right in the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is sort of a template for us to follow. It starts with two God things, and then it goes on to three people things, right? We start with God things because those are the, the most longest-lasting things. Those are the eternal things. That's us setting our heart and mind and eyesight on the things above. Our Father, hallowed be your name, holy, set apart. We don't lose heart in prayer because he's not the unrighteous judge. Why do we set apart? Why are we, why are we requesting that God's name would be seen for what it is? Because tied into his name is his character. 
God, all of your goodness is wrapped up in that. All of your sovereignty, all of your tender mercies, all of your steadfast love. God, all of your wisdom is wrapped up into your name. This is not a statement, but a request. God, do whatever it takes so that people would see who you are. And start with me. Be holy and set apart and shown for who you are in my life. Your name stands for all that you are. God's glory and fame is our highest priority in prayer, and it also happens to be our greatest good. Should we be praying about the current health crisis and the current relational crisis going on in our life? Yes, that's praying what you live, right? Of course we should be praying about those things. But if those who are suffering in a fallen, cursed world, whether from relational pain or physical pain or worldwide pandemic pain, if those who are suffering would be at peace and gain the spiritual health that a relationship with God brings about, that changes everything. That's of utmost priority. So, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. The first one deals with character. We can keep on praying and not lose heart because God's character is there. Who else are we going to go to? But secondly, we don't lose heart in prayer because He's coming back. Praying your kingdom come is imploring God to rule over us, to remind our own hearts to see Him as a king with a kingdom, setting our minds aright as to who is in charge and to who is working in His good time. Remember, we talked about this weeks and weeks ago when we looked at this uh, in, in Luke. But for too long, we've prayed, God, what is your will for my life? Let's shorten it to this. God, what is your will? Full stop. God, what is your will? Your kingdom come. That's what I'm about. I'm going to get on about your will. Of course, my life will be involved in it because I'm involved in you. It's a prayer of submission, of hope, of urgency, that things the way they are right now are not always going to be this way. Come quickly, Lord. Establish and set right all the things that are broken and perverted in our world. Your kingdom come. We don't lose heart in prayer. We keep at it always because we're convinced God's coming back as a ruling king. Taken together, we pray God to let people know who you are, and what you are up to. I don't know about you, but I'm sure your heart is like mine. I want to be part of the yes to Jesus' question. Am I going to find faith when I come back, Jesus is asking? Yes! It may be a remnant, but yes, I want to be part of that yes. He goes on to talk about praying for daily bread, for sins forgiven, for protection and temptation. This is praying what you live. These are all the things of life that we pray. Always pray and never lose heart. You've got this because God's got you. Look at this verse on the screen. I showed it earlier. I've highlighted some of the action words. Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. I began thinking and praying about some of those children that we've seen in the video. Some of you who are a little bit older and you're on a career track, maybe you're in college right now. I want to walk through some things that tie into this scripture. See if any of these quicken your pulse a little bit more than the others. See if any of these cause you to sort of lean forward in your chair. The world needs people to love, and that means some very specific things, and it looks different for different people. But here's number one. We need entrepreneurs and teachers to learn what is good. 
like by trial and error, to go and do, and then to teach others what is good. We need daring adventurers to seek justice. Don't just go on vacations and travel the world and use your your hunger to meet new people and be bold for nothing. Go and seek justice. We need bold lawyers and law enforcement to correct oppression that is going on. We need wise and tender social workers to bring justice to foster care and youth in orphans here and around the world. And we need fearless neighbors to stand with widows who are being ignored. I love that Britain said, uh, we said yes to paperwork. That doesn't feel like the work of God all the time. That's a huge part of being a foster parent or an adoptive parent. You know that some widows just need someone to, to, to sit down and go through paperwork and make sure they're not being involved in a scam, not being, uh, make sure they're, they're, they're missing something, to go and be helpful, to stand with them and not let them have their plight ignored. Maybe it's time for, for you to set your career around this. Maybe it's time for a career change. Maybe God would shift and nudge you in some different direction because you want to participate in the work God's doing. Jesus has a way of doing this, right? Come and follow me. And what does the tax guy do? He leaves his tax practice and he follows Jesus. You know, the best way to, prayer, to, to learn about prayer isn't by a book, isn't by a conference or hearing a sermon. It's just to pray. And ultimately, praying with those who know how to pray. The disciples came and said, teach us how to pray, Lord. You seem to have an active prayer life. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. If you want to, lift your face to heaven. Don't look at Lick Observatory. Keep going. And maybe we, we want to lift our faces this morning. But in prayer, I say this. God, we want to pray the things of you. We want to pray your glory. We want to pray your respect and your honor. That your will and your plan and your purposes would so fill our minds, God. And we know the way to pray that is to have your book open in front of us in prayer. God, you tell us to pray what we live. And so we set our, our, our heart and our minds and our imaginations on God things, but we also live with people things. God, that today we'd have our daily bread. We'd have our daily needs met. God, that today we would forgive people the way you've forgiven us. God, that today you would protect us in the midst of temptation. God, physical necessities, relational and spiritual health, joys and sorrows, we bring it all to you. God, we pray for courage because we are fearful. God, we pray for strength because we are weak and tired. We pray for wisdom because we are confused and short-sighted. We pray for purity because we are fleshly and double-minded. God, we pray for direction because we can't see the future. God, we pray for healing because we are sick. God, we pray for forgiveness because we are sinners in need of grace. And God, we pray for restoration because things are broken both in our lives here and in our world. And all God's people said, amen.